Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS podcast, where Jonathan Denwood interviews the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS. It's episode 740. Got a friend and a returning guest. I've got Heather Wild Rancy with me. Um, we're going to be talking about diversity, the gap in WordPress and tech in general. Um, Heather has spoken well uh, and deeply on this subject, and she's got some really interesting reflections and thoughts about it. It's an important discussion. Um, should be a great show. Um, before we go into the, the meat and potatoes of the show, I've got a couple great messages from the sponsors, the major sponsors of the show. We will be back in a few, few moments, folks. Are you looking for ways to make your content more engaging? Sensei LMS by Automatic is the original WordPress solution for creating and selling online courses. Sensei's new interactive blocks can be added to any WordPress page or post. For example, Interactive videos let you pause videos and display quizzes, lead generation forms, surveys, and more. For a 20% off discount for the tribe, just use the code WPTONIC, all one word, when checking out and give Sensei a try today. The importance of backing up your WordPress website cannot be emphasized enough. We use BlogVault to help us do this on a daily basis. With free staging, migrations, and on the pro plans, malware scanning and auto fix, BlogVault is the professional's choice when managing just one website or many. Go to blogvault.com and see for yourself. You seriously won't find a better, more complete solution. That's blogvault.com, blogvault.com. We're coming back, folks. Um, just want to point out, I've got some great special deals from some of the sponsors. Plus, I've got a list of annotated uh, recommendations of plugins and SaaS services that we at WP Tonic uses. Got a great resource. You, where can you go to get all these great resources? Well, it's quite simple. Go over to WP Tonic slash deals. WP Tonic slash deals. So, Heather, let's go straight into it. Maybe you can give to the listeners and viewers that are new, used to be a, a regular panellist on one of my other shows, but we might have a few people that don't know your background. Maybe you can give a quick outline of your history in tech and your specific interest in diversity. So, um I, I mean, you may not realize this, but I happen to be a woman. So, um, I mean, I would have uh, never, never guessed that. <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean, actually, uh, that actually brings up the point. Like, so some people, uh, you can't tell necessarily uh, how they present. So, um, like, uh, the, the gender that they are presenting as uh, may not be the gender that that you think they are. So um, I am uh, a woman and I am in technology and uh, that uh, for some people is uh, maybe a, a 
difficult uh, choice throughout their career. Um, I actually uh, started how a lot of uh, people start because I was encouraged at an early age by um, my parents, uh, my father especially, but um, my entire family encouraged me to be uh, involved in in technology. Um, uh, and uh, like, I mean, I was, I was, building things from like junk parts uh, at a scrapyard. Uh, like when I was, uh, I mean, that was like my fun thing that my father and I would do uh, on, on weekends when he was home from uh, his, his work. And um, yeah, so I mean, it was like a whole family involvement to encourage me to be in tech. And uh, so it's been a lifelong thing for me. And, and uh, when I started my actual career, uh, I didn't know necessarily what I wanted to do after college. Uh, I mean, I, so I went to school to, for astronautics. I was like, I was going on a NASA track and then my health turned out to not be good enough to do that. So I had like an existential crisis of what was I going to do with my life. So, but I knew that it was going to have something still to do with technology. Um, And I always had that to fall back on. So, um, yeah, so I went into game design, um, helped to build uh, a company uh, for the government. Can, I, um, can yeah. we pause there just for a second? So, because uh, obviously uh, you're a friend, and I know I've watched some of your videos and interviews. So I think this is important that you you were part of the gaming industry, which mm-hmm. has got a bit of a reputation. Um, to be some negative connotations towards its attitudes towards women that are game developers or the general community in general. Was looking back, do you? What's your position on that? What I've just outlined. So yeah, the game uh, industry is uh, it's it's a dichotomy because it's actually both one of the most welcoming industries that I've ever been in. Um, Like gamers, uh, uh, I mean, I just think of like some of my best experiences in my entire career, uh, both as uh, a professional, but also as a consumer have been uh, with the the community of gamers. Um, But also uh, it's it's not very forgiving uh, to people that, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's an institution extremely weird thing. So um, my being a woman in um, my particular design studio and also the company that I worked for, which was THQ, um, was never an issue. Um, And in fact, one of my closest friends um, for the last 30 years now um, uh, is a a uh, transgendered person. And uh, we worked together in the same studio. And again, that was never an issue for the studio that we're in, for the people that we worked with. However, um, their career since that studio has been stalled, has been an issue almost everywhere that they've worked. Um, And so their experience was extremely different from from mine and has been, uh, they've had a very hard, hard time of it. Whereas with with me, like I've, I've never experienced, um, I, I've, 
Well, I mean, that, that is to say, like, I mean, I, I started out as a booth babe, um, like, because it was the easy way to get into to gaming because you can. Uh, so a booth babe is somebody at uh, conferences where, uh, like, if you have the body, you get you just wear the costume and you get people you attract them to the booth. And uh, at a game com- uh, conference, you need to, like, uh, Olivia Munn is a perfect example of this. You have to have the intelligence to continue to have the conversations with people once they get to the booth. And uh, if you hire the wrong booth, babe, then uh, people, gamers just leave immediately because, like, they don't want just a body. They want a brain. Um, so um, you have to have the right com- combination of someone like they ha- they have to be a gamer they have to be intelligent and they also have to look cute in the costume so um <laughs> oh, that's, i would fail i would fail at all three hurdles ever. <laughs> well i mean and i mean i know it's it's kind of a sexist thing but i mean it that's that's just how it is and and um but gamer girls are like I mean, it, it's a whole subculture, and if if you uh, if if you are willing to do that, then like you're immediately accepted by the gamer community, and that's why you'll see it like Comic Con, for example. Like there's the whole cosplay mm-hmm. uh, subculture. I mean, and it and the thing is, like looking cute in the costume doesn't necessarily mean you have a model type body. It means you're confident, and that confidence is what is attractive to the gamers. So, so um, I think um, your um, outline of the gaming community being generous but also can be extremely critical is very similar to my observation of the WordPress community. Is we've got a lot of linkage. So let's move on. So you got into gaming industry um how long did you stay in the gaming industry and what was the next step outside the gaming industry? What uh, what led you to leaving it and your next move? I was involved uh, in uh, gaming from one form or other for about seven years um, and that overlapped uh, with... Uh, I started to... Actually, a little bit longer than that, but I started to... Um, work on government projects after that. Uh, like I went over, um, because what happened was um, 9-11 um, uh, was a huge impact mm-hmm. on the gaming uh, world. Um, people just stopped playing games. I mean, they were just, uh, the amount of money people spent on games went down um it was it was an interesting time, and I think it was because uh, there was such a successful recruiting drive at the time for people to sign up for going away to fight, um, and those were the the profile of the gamer at the time. So um, there, I mean, there were a, there's a whole slew of of uh, why that might have been the case, like why gaming went down when usually it goes up at times of crisis. Um, but, uh, for a good 18 months, the, the whole gaming industry went down. So, um, so yeah, our studio, uh, had to close, um, a bunch of other boutiques, um, ended up, uh, going down, uh, until Red Dead Redemption and others came along and, and br- brought the industry back. But, um, what, uh, 
we decided to pivot uh, and uh, our friends started a government uh, company um, that became a government contractor to uh, help solve problems that were created by 9-11. And uh, we did that for the next five years. And um, then uh, we started a company called Evernote. Um, yes, because that's what—that's one of the key areas that you're noted for your early involvement <laughs> with Evernote, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and uh, that uh, I'm happy to say is uh, uh, doing. Uh, I mean, it's 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 still going strong. Like 20 years later, the company amazing, really, <laughs> isn't it? It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, being able to build a company that uh, that people use every day that helps their lives. Um, I mean, that's that's always a, a great thing. So um, yeah, and it's. Uh, um, I mean, but going from uh, like having the the background of of thinking from game design and having that UI, and then moving into like government and thinking from like that enterprise security uh, kind of understanding and then building a note-taking platform um, like and, and productivity tools, uh, like taking those two things together to create a beautiful software that is also like enterpre- enterprise security minded is um, like it's, it's all building on each other. Yeah. So just to quantify this, so you were in the early days of Evernote, I would imagine that not only was you on paid salary, you had some element of equity in the business. Um, and obviously it got bought out. But since then, you've been involved in a number of startups, consultancy. So to say that you've got a, a very diverse and extensive understanding of the tech business would be a slight understatement. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I've I've been working as a, a consultant, an investor, and as a, like as a CTO for uh, many many years. Well, the reason why I've drawn this out, your background, is just to give an indication to the new listeners and viewers that you know your stuff um, <laughs> and you do know what you're talking about. Because I think in this particular subject that we're going to be covering. I, I personally think that's very important, Heather, I hope, and I think you agree on that. So if you don't mind, let's move on because we could talk about your... Of course. Um, and I mean, background. I think it is important to say well, the that next I'm, the next two hours, could we really? Could we? Yeah, I, th- I think it's important to say that I'm a lot older than I look. I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, she's only like 20 years old." No, <laughs> been around. I've been around the block a bit. Yeah, I'm not going to pass any remark. <laughs> so I'm in deep enough trouble anyway, ever with a certain team in WordPress. Uh, um, um, so let's let's go on because we let's go on to question two that I have given you. Um, you know, obviously intellectually and morally, I think diversity is extremely important. But we live in a, a capitalist-driven society. Um, that's just the fact of it. Um, for its good parts and its bad parts, and in in most companies. The bottom line is, does something generate more profit, more income for the business? I feel that diversity does help the bottom line. It does encourage the company to be more in pure economical terms, um, improves the bottom line. 
what is your thoughts and reflection about some of the statements I've just made? Well, I mean, it's been proven that when you have a diverse board, for example, um, then you make decisions that uh, are more uh, universal for a company. Um, so, I mean, because you're thinking about a broader picture with a larger perspective of users. However, um, conversely, uh, there there's a lot to say about when you're making decisions um, uh, for strictly without emotion. Um, like, I mean, when you bring in like an emotional perspective to uh, a capitalist decision making, um, then you you might make some decisions that are not uh, truly fiduciarily responsible. So, um, from a capitalist perspective, uh, having like one mind and not a committee uh, is is often the the best way. From a human perspective. Uh, having that committee that it has diverse voices uh, is ethically more responsible. So um, it, it's it is that that ethical dilemma. Like like how like you can be a conscious capitalist, and the Quakers proved that you can have a successful company and be a conscious capitalist and have have like diverse thought in in building a company and still make money. However, I mean, it's been proven time and time again that uh, if you want to make the most money, then you have to just be ruthless and not think about those diverse things. So, um, I mean, it's it's no matter how many times uh, you you try to bring. I mean, if you bring capitalism as the argument, then uh, people will always say a diverse uh, board is is going to be. Uh, is going to make you less money. And that is extremely controversial to say, but it is. Uh, but I think that ethically, we need to go down the conscious capitalism route and have diverse boards because um, we can't just mine everything for every last cent. Oh, are you still there, Heather? Yeah, did oh. you lose me? No, I, I, I'm sorry. I just sorry. I um, got. Uh, I didn't know if you stopped. Just let me say something. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, do you want me to remark on what you've just said? <laughs> Please do. I mean, I know it's. I know what I said is controversial. I told you this was going to be a controversial kind of day. <laughs> oh, the, you're. Um, uh, by the way, listeners and viewers, if, if if you're not really into a serious discussion about uh, this topic, this isn't the podcast. <laughs> for you. Uh, and I, I'm not being disparaging there or flippant um, because I am going to get a considerable amount of grief connected <laughs> to this interview. I'm sorry. Uh, um, <laughs> Well, no, uh, I knew when I asked you to have an interview about this subject, I knew I was laying myself out um, for those in the WordPress community that are gunning for me. Um, They're they're just going to utilise this as another way of attacking me. But I understand. Um, um, So, um, well, there's a lot of people, there's a lot, just just my own 
reflection back what you just say just said um a lot in the vc and in silicon valley would say that you're being extremely naive here um i don't think that i'm just being a dev advocate here um i totally personally agree with you but um i know that there would be a lot of of individuals that you probably mix with much more than i do um that would say they might not say it in front of you, Heather, um, but they probably would say it behind your back that you're being extremely naive there. Um, that all that matters is the green. Um, That's exactly and, what I said. Like I, I said I was, exactly that. That like that it's more. I mean that everyone thinks that capitalism is the most important thing, and that. I mean, what we should be thinking about is is the ethics, but like anyone that's running a business is only thinking about capitalism. Right, so I probably um, I'm not the brightest tool in the toolbox. So I've probably got the wrong, I've probably got the wrong reflection there. Um, so let's move on before I make a bigger fool of myself, uh, which is quite easy. Uh, um, so. It's a bit linked to what we just said. I think there's a lot what I classify as checkbox um, diversity in most companies. Um, basically, the public face, the PR face, they they produce, like I say, what I call checkbox diversity. Um, would you agree with that statement? And can you, if you do, can you give? Uh, some insight about what we're talking about when it comes to checkbox diversity? Uh, yeah. So when you have a, a diversity and equity inclusion program in your company, um, for most people, uh, most companies that start this, they don't know exactly what it means. Um, and they just want to say, like, we have a DEI program. Um, and then... Um, they might put somebody in HR in, in charge of it and then say, okay, now we have a head of DEI or we have a DEI program. And then they forget all about it because that's the, they have checked the box and say, like, we can point to the fact that we have a head of DEI or we have this DEI program. And as far as the executives are concerned, that's good enough. But now it falls on whoever they've assigned that to to create a program and then they don't have a budget for it. They don't have any actual oversight. Like they don't have any real uh, buy-in from the executives. They just have a, an empty title. Um, now, in a lot of companies, uh, they actually uh, where it's both bottom-up and top-down, where the the employees have asked for it and the leaders are driving it that that person that's been assigned to it does have a budget, does have like a driving force, both like the people are asking for it and the board is is asking for it and the leaders are checking in on it. That's where it isn't just a checking of the box. So, I mean, what what matters, I mean, there there's just, it really comes into, um, are they are they doing it because they think it looks good um, or are they doing it because there was really a need for it in the company? And some would argue like, okay, every, every company has a need for it, but um, 
I don't think that's true necessarily either. Um, so if your company has certain, like hits certain guideposts, like if there's, um, I mean, if you have a certain number of employees that are having issues, um, then you you definitely need to look into having a DEI uh, policy. If you uh, if if your entire company is male <laughs> and you're not Chippendales, <laughs> then you then you have like a potential need for this. So, um, or if your entire company is female, like I mean, like you you really do need to have. Uh, there, there are certain situations where, like having a, a good DEI uh, policy and somebody that's driving that and has the resources to drive it are are important. But I mean, it's not necessary for for every company. Right. Um, how how do you encourage? in a practical way based on your experience diversity in a company that feels that it isn't doing a great job about it? Uh, well, I mean... That's only that's, a slight question, but I'm just asking... No, no, no. No, I mean, if, if, if they feel that they're not doing a great job, then that's actually the first step. Like, they already are asking the question. And, like, it, with my coach hat on, um, I think that them already realizing that there's a problem, um, it, they're already on the path to fixing it. Um, the the real issues are when there there's definitely a problem and they don't realize it. Um, so, like, what in in my game company that I was in, uh, we didn't have a formal DEI program. I mean, this was back in 1999; like, they didn't exist yet. Uh, but we obviously didn't have a DEI problem. Because, like, I mean, like, my coworker was trans, I was female, like, we were in a great environment, like, the working environment was was great, nobody had any issues with anyone, and it was, uh, it was perfect. Whereas every other company my my former coworker was at after that, there there were obvious issues. They tried to report them, and they were they were there was no recourse for them. So in those companies, that was where a DEI uh, program or some form would have been helpful. But those companies that they were in that still exist, those game companies still don't have any recourse for those kinds of employees. So that's, and and those employees are asking for it, but it's just never been added. Would you, I'm surmising that that is on purpose as well. They would rather lose employees because uh, it's like one of the larger game companies, and know they know that there's so many people to replace them. Yeah. Um, would you? Um, I'm only surmising this before we go for our break. Um, I'm surmising that one of the things that might contribute to a poor diversity in a culture that people from different backgrounds don't feel welcome, especially around tech, is. What I see um, as really mixing personal and business together in what I consider a hot mess. What, well, what I mean by this, Heather, is the encouragement of 
the company being seen as a family. You know, literally you spend all your social time, all your friends are part of the company, that the company is the extension of a larger family, that you mix your work colleagues and you see them as your friends. And they're not really, um, which you learn very quickly as you mature. But um, especially in the tech tech industry, it was encouraged quite a lot, you know, that you can have subsidised meals. You had a gym at the place that you spent all your hours there. It was all one big kind of club. But the problem with that is if you're somebody that feels you're not a member of the club, What's your reflection of what I've just outlined? I mean, I I was seduced by that myself for a bit. And um, it's, it's really difficult. I mean, I try extremely hard with my um, employees. Um, one, um, I mean, I, I want to be uh, friends with, with my employees, but I, I have to, like, I'm their CTO. I am not their friend. And they want to be friends with me. And and I have to make sure that there's that line that like it. And I also want to make sure like absolutely be friends with these people. Like, I mean, it's great if you have friends, um, if you're friendly and really do become friends with these people at work. But remember, they're your work friends. And um, it... <laughs> Well, it comes sorry to interrupt, and I don't. I've got to yeah. be very careful in this conversation yeah. because of the of the lag, and also yeah. a little bit of my neurodiversity yeah. the background. Um, but I don't want to come across that I'm dominating this. Yeah. You know, because I'm going to be accused. There are going to be some ac- accusations thrown at me as we get further in this conversation. <laughs> uh, um, um, but what I'm just losing my track here. Um, yeah, I think the power dynamics. I think that's yeah. what you're talking about. There's a they 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 can you want a friendly business relationship, but you've got to be realistic about the power dynamics. Yeah. you you've got the power to more power to some extent than the people that are working for you. So it cannot be an equal friendship on an equal friendship basis. Am I on the right track? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people make that mistake. Um, And it's even worse as a woman um, because there's, I mean, there's so many, there's so much of a spotlight on me for things that I could do potentially wrong that, um, and I mean, insert minority here. It doesn't matter what, like what kind of minority I am. Um, I could be a black man or uh, um, um, uh, somebody from another country. Uh, It doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, I could be a a 50-year-old man from India. As long as I'm some sort of minority, uh, that that power differential is still evident. And you have to be extremely careful of that. But I mean, when I was at Evernote, even just as um, a peer employee with with other managers, um, I still had to be uh, careful because I was was friends with these people at work. But I realized because I was 
so involved in the company, I didn't have time for for friends outside of work. And then when I uh, developed cancer, um, like my entire friend base was at work and they didn't have time to support me because they were busy with work. So thankfully, I'd started to build a friend base outside of work, but I'd only just started to build that. And thankfully, those friends were really, really strong already. Um, and they were able to support me. And I realized this was unhealthy, this this work cult scenario that I was in. And that's uh, why... Would you agree in, in tech and in solid, it was encouraged because it helped the bottom line, but it also has consequences. It does make yes. the whole thing into a bit of a hot mess, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I mean, but it's it's accidental. It's not, I mean, it's it's encouraged for you to stay at work to keep working because again, it's that capitalist drives the bottom line, keeps you at your desk. But, um, but it's accidental that you don't have relationships outside of work. I mean, some companies, I mean, it, it may seem like that we're trying to force you to like date your coworkers and things like that. And, and um, in, in some cases, like some companies may have like encouraged that like we work. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, I think it's just you don't have the opportunity because you're so busy with work. So that that may just be where mm. you, that's the only place you find people. Um, but I mean, the same thing happens at college. Like you, you end up finding mm. your, because you're, you're, that's the only place you meet anyone. So, I mean, it's not, I realized as I got older that all these uh, tech companies, the they're just trying to keep recreating what they had at the college dorm because that was where they felt the most alive. Um, so those, those overnighters that they were pulling, those keggers that they were going to, those, those, all those things, that was what they're trying to keep recreating. Um, uh, and it's the frat boys specifically that are trying to recreate their their college years their the the best times of their lives and then spread it out to everyone else so right i think we're going to go for our break we'll be back with this really we're going to go down all sorts of well i knew it was going to be and heather was up for it i knew it was going to be a very (laughs) diverse conversation heather knows me anyway so she was up for it um we will be back in a few moments folks Hey, it's Spence from LaunchFlows.com. If you've been looking for a fast and easy way to create powerful sales funnels on WordPress, then look no further than LaunchFlows. In just minutes, you can easily create instant registration, upsells, downsells, order bumps, one-click checkouts, one-time offers, custom thank you pages, and best of all, no coding is required. For as little as $50 per year, you can own and control your entire sales funnel machine with LaunchFlows. Get your copy today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Lifter LMS, the leading learning management system solution for WordPress. If you or your client are creating any kind of online course, training-based membership website, or any type of e-learning project, Lifter LMS is the most secure, stable, well-supported solution on the market. Go to lifterlms.com and save 20% at checkout with coupon code 
podcast 20. That's podcast two zero. Enjoy the rest of your show. We're coming back. We're having a real discussion about diversity, how to implement it in a practical way and some of the things that influence it. But before we go into the second half of this fascinating discussion, I just want to point out that if if you're looking for a great hosting partner um, around e-learning membership websites as a WordPress developer, look at WP Tonic. We have a great affiliate program where you, if a client signs up for a year's hosting, you can earn 40% upfront. And also we provide all the plugins and all the other things that you require. So you don't have to ask for the customer to buy this plugin, that plugin, that service. It makes everything really smooth and available in one place. If that sounds interesting, go over to WP Tonic slash affiliates and have a look at that. So on to the next part of the conversation here. But, um, so um, are there, can you give some quick things that you've seen a company do? Let's say they've identified that they've got a, they're not doing fantastic when it comes to diversity. Are there any one or two things based on your extensive experiences that they can do um, that, in let's give it six, let's give it a three month, six month year, where the, there could be some measurable, tangible improvement in the situation, or is it just is it just too complicated? We, all you can do is just apply best practices and mon- monitor them by the higher management. Are we dealing with that type of scenario? Well, one of the things is if you have any new positions that you're hiring for, um, make sure that your job descriptions are diversely written. Um, like, so uh, use non-gendered language um, so that it's it's not, uh, uh, so that you're not hiring for, I mean, it, it's, it's a delicate balance to make sure that you're not hiring for one gender or another in your job description. Also make sure that you're only asking for specific skills um, that you actually need and not for requirements on things that aren't necessary. So um, like in my postings, I don't ask for any number of years of experience in anything. I, um, I don't, uh, I, I don't ask for uh, certain degrees um unless they're absolutely required for something. But I um, I will ask for uh, certifications in something if they're relevant. But um, I'm looking for a candidate. I'm not looking for... Um, uh, I mean, I, I recognize that candidates don't all have the same privileged backgrounds to be able to go to like a Harvard or um, or even a state school. Like state schools are expensive and you might not have the same background to get there. Um so, but if if you're not in the uh, phase to hire somebody new, then um, take a look at who are in your management positions and how did they get there? Uh, who, because the people that are um, your managers are generally the ones that are making uh, decisions on who gets uh, assignments for work, um, what types of uh, uh, what types of uh, roles are being assigned to people in general. 
Um, so if all of the managers in your company are men, um, then they're generally going to be biased towards assigning things to other men um, or assigning certain types of tasks to women to do. Um, if all of your all of your managers are women, they're going to be biased in the same way, but towards women. Um, and hopefully, I mean, and even if they say they're not biased, that's just how it is. Like people have those unconscious biases. So making sure that people take um, the uh, IAT implicit association tests um, so that they can understand their own biases and where they might be. Um, don't have them share the results with you. Just like make them available so that people can start to understand and overcome their own implicit biases is, is a good start. Um, there's also some um, diversity uh, toolkits that you can implement as a company. Um, but it's really just uh, start by taking a look at what your company makeup is now and thinking about where those biases um, can be in your existing company and then maybe shake it up a little bit. That was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that, Heather. But um, also, what does, in my opinion, the actual culture, culture, genetics and culture are the two, well, genetics, your parents and your culture are the the dominant factors of of how you see the world, in my opinion. Um, How how does this whole scenario that we've outlined, is it driven by the founders and the CEO and the chief financial officers officer of a company when it comes to this? Um, it depends on the company. I mean, like as the CTO, I always feel like I'm the guardian of culture in the company because I'm developing products and pro- like I have to build the ethics of the company into the the products that we deliver. Um, and so I'm always having conversations with our CEO, our like, and then arguing with the, the COO who happens to be our, um, I mean, I, I'm on board with our CFO. Like the CFO is behind me 100% on all of our uh, security decisions and our ethics decisions. Um, but we still have to talk to the COO and CEO about these things too. But um, I'm lucky that I have a CFO that backs me up on all of our our decisions and I don't have to argue with them. But it's not the same in every company. Um, the, the CFO is usually like, I don't care about security because we can just pay the insurance fine later and it's usually cheaper than whatever it's going to cost. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I don't, I don't care about building insecurity. And I mean, any CTO that's listening to this has heard the exact same thing. Um, yeah. but, but I mean, like me talking about cyber liability insurance, uh, to a room full of CEOs, you'll hear, I mean, CTOs, you'll hear a lot of them groan because like, they, well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but wouldn't yeah. you also um, hear that conversation when it comes to diversity? You know, we've got yeah. insurance, we can cover ourselves to a certain degree. I've heard um, that same thing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, it, like, it, but it all comes down to, like, there there's an app that uh, is hitting the uh, waves today that goes both to diversity and, secu- like, cyber liability, Um uh 
is I, I can't remember the name of it, uh, but it's like the big new meme generator kind of um, where you can upload your picture and it uses AI to generate like a new version of yourself and um, we'll find it and put it in the links. Oh, I, def- um, I definitely need that, Heather. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the thing is, because of the ethics involved in in who programmed it, um, it's biased towards like an anglicized like white version of like what is beauty. So like if you upload a black face, like a black person to it, it's going to like whiten their face to make them more beautiful. If you upload a child's face to it, it's going to like add like breasts and things to it because it's going to make them like... So the ethics involved in in de- designing this app, um, it wasn't thought through. They They didn't... All they were thinking about was like, how much money are we going to make? And like, are people going to pay for it? And the thing is, they absolutely uh, are making a lot of money and it doesn't matter how many lawsuits they get because they have insurance for that. Yep. Um, that was, um, you touched some subjects there. Um, well, let's move on. So um, let's wrap it up and then we can, uh, let's go through a couple of quick questions that I like to end with a guest and then maybe we can have some bonus content where we, we talk about some other topics around this. How does that sound, Heather? Um, so I always like this question. Um, if you had a time machine and you could go back, go back to your early years of your involvement in tech, and you could coach yourself or mentor yourself, would there be one or two things that you wish you knew now that you knew back then? I always say the same thing, by Google. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, other than that... <laughs> by Apple. That, you don't you yeah. mean Apple? Both of them, both of them. But other than that, it's just stay the course. Don't change anything because um, I like who I am now. And uh, I wouldn't uh, be who I am if I hadn't gone through all of the things that I've been through. So um, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what you've been through, um, just you've made the right decisions every step of the way. Yeah, I think that's a, that's the interesting thing about it because obviously those experiences, if you didn't have those experiences, you wouldn't be the person you are now, would you? So that is the problem with the time machine, isn't it? So are there any kind of books, websites, online resources, people that you follow that you think that you think have some great ideas and knowledge that you would like to share with the audience? Apart so, from maybe you should mention your own great book, it's quite a good read, isn't it? Uh, so yeah, I wrote my own book. Um, uh, it's called Birth of a Unicorn, uh, and uh, it's uh, it's a real uh, fun book. Um, it's it puts you in the uh, the seat of what would you do if you were in this kind of position. Um, a group that is, I mean, a book that has always been very helpful is called uh, The Four Agreements um, by uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, it's uh, it's about uh, agreements you should make with yourself to live your best life. Um, that one's always, always good. Um, another one is uh, uh, Mindset. Uh, the Psychology of Success by Carol Dweck. 
Um, and um, I like also Enchantment by Guy Kawasaki. So yeah, um, that's those, a great. They should be good. Thank you so much, Heather. What's what's the best way for people to find out more about you and some of your ideas, Heather? Um, you can reach me at Heatheriel on all the socials and um, Heatheriel.com. We're going to end the podcast part of the show, folks. We're going to continue this discussion for another 10, 15 minutes. We're going to talk about diversity. Also, maybe if Ever's up to it, talk about race in tech as well. Uh, um, you'll be able to watch the whole interview on the YouTube channel, the WP Tonic YouTube channel. Um, so go over there and also subscribe. It does really support the show interviews like this, which I think are quite unique, actually. You won't find them anywhere else in the WordPress that space hopefully and we'll be back next week with another great guest we'll see you soon folks bye hey thanks for listening we really do appreciate it why not visit the mastermind facebook group and also to keep up with the latest news click wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter we'll see you next time